How's everybody doing tonight? Good. I'm seeing, I'm seeing some familiar faces, people I recognize. And uh, this will be one of the first times that we can actually be in a, what's up Najee, I see you over there. This will be one of the first times where I'm not actually performing or rapping or singing, um, but I still feel as though it's very important to share. And I've been able to share in many different venues, but most of those venues have been very, very personal. So anyone that's been a, a part of my internship program or even just um, artists that I've worked with outside of being in the studio, we'll just catch up over dinner. We'll talk about some of the concepts and topics that we're going to cover tonight. And really, uh, I, I thought to myself, look, you know, it's great that I told young Jeezy about Bitcoin, or it's great that I, you know, some of my interns, I talked to them about repairing their credit or giving them ideas about where they should invest their money. Should they pay off their credit card before they put it in the stock market? Should they, you know, try their luck on a, an app like Robinhood? Should they just be using Stash to save up a couple of pennies and hope it grows into a retirement amount? And uh, I thought that there was an opportunity to do this uh, for a larger audience. And so I really want to thank uh, Fuel by Culture, Forbes 8, uh, for providing this venue. And tonight, I think we have a real treat because I have always been on the lookout for new technology, which not only provides information, but also provides guidance on finance. And so through my research, I came across a new company called Titan, and I've invited Clay to come up. He's one of the co-founders and co-CEOs of Titan. He's going to talk about why it's so important to really make sure that you're not just putting your money in a savings account and hoping that it's just going to grow that little 2% interest or whatever percent interest that they promise you on the savings account when you account for inflation, you might actually be losing money in the long run. And so it's important for you to actually figure out a place and understand and know where to actually put the money that you earn. And it's also not about how much you make. I, I, I had a conversation and I said, well, you know, how should we find out how much people actually have to invest? And one of my interns was like, oh, uh, he was like, well, you know, we should just ask how much everybody makes. And then you'll know how much, you know, how, how rich everybody is. And the bottom line is that most people are living above their means. When they make more money, they spend more money. When they, uh, uh, when they, when they get a raise, they figure out they can get a nicer car or upgrade their apartment or buy nicer clothes or go on more trips. And so it's also more about how much you save because when you're saving, that money can work for you and at a point, in your life, you will need that money to work for you when you are physically unable to work and you still want to be able to live the way that you've lived for you, the life that you had until you retired. And so uh, we're going to touch on all that tonight. And uh, I'd like to invite Clay. I'd like to invite Clay to come out. And we're just going to have a candid conversation. Give a round of applause to Clay. Thanks for making it. Great. Testing, testing, good. Great, so Clay, thanks for being here. I think it'd be great to just give everybody a little bit of your background and also sort of your thesis on investing and why you felt like there was a, a need for you to create a different kind of vehicle for folks to invest. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you guys for having me. Um, my name's Clay, I grew up uh, in Chicago. I uh, went to Wharton undergrad for business school. Um, I graduated in 2012, 
for the past, or for five, six years after graduation, I worked in and around Wall Street. So I, was, I started off at Goldman Sachs, and then worked at a big hedge fund out in San Francisco, and then ended up at Blackstone. Um, I was one of three people at Blackstone. I was personally- what, What's Blackstone for so folks? Bla so Blackstone is one of the, uh, I think it's a multi-hundred billion dollar uh, private equity firm. It's one of the world's largest private equity firms. Um, it was founded about 30 years ago, and they manage money exclusively for high net worth individuals. So to invest, invest in one of Blackstone's funds, and they invest in real estate, they invest in private equity deals, so taking companies private, and they also have hedge funds. To invest in any of Blackstone's funds, you have to have at least a million dollars net worth, likely multiples more than that. And you need to know someone who knows someone who knows someone to get you at the meeting. Um, so anyways, I, I was fortunate to come out of a place where I had access to those people pretty early on, um, and I was managing money for them before I knew it. So I, I studied business in college. I've been investing since I was young. As I, after I learned the ropes for about four or five years, I landed at Blackstone, and I was actually helping run one of these funds. So the fund managed about a billion dollars. There was three of us. I was personally responsible for $500 million, and I was investing primarily in consumer and tech stocks. So many of the companies, many of you probably own here, so the Facebooks and Googles of the world. Actually, let me, let me stop you right there. How many of the folks that are in this room are actually actively investing in the stock market today, as we say here? So about half the room. So about half the room okay. is not actively even in the stock market, okay. but we'll continue. Okay. So I did that for about six months, uh, which is a pretty short period of time to be in a new job. But as pretty quickly into those six months, I realized I was on a path where I was probably going to be doing this for the next 30 to 40 years. And, you know, I, I come from a pretty humble background. Um, you know, I was fortunate to start investing early. But many of the friends that I would reconnected with when I was, you know, I was 25, 26 years old at the time, uh, they were like, you know, it seems like half of the folks in this audience, which is they didn't invest. Um, you know, they made decent money. They were not millionaires. Uh, but they didn't invest. And I knew most of them were spending less than they made. They was just building up cash in a checking account, and it was kind of this paralysis. He didn't necessarily know what to do next. And so I said, how is, it, how is it that we came from the same place? I'm no smarter than them. I may have been very lucky in the places I land up, but we're pretty much the same people. And then I can have managed $500 million for wealthy people, and by virtue of that, have made some good money myself, and now I can invest in those funds I was helped manage. Meanwhile, they're, they're on the sidelines, not even invested at all. And so that was a moment where I looked at myself and I said, look, 30, 40 years from now, I don't want to be known as the guy who helped make the rich get richer mm -hmm. and himself rich in the process. I said, there's other ways to, to build wealth. Um, ultimately, the, the way to get wealthy, uh, in my opinion, is two things. It's leverage and measurement. So um, you need to be in a role where your performance can be measured very clearly so that you can be promoted, you can get on the path to rising up, and you need leverage, which means you need, be, need to be some sort of owner. Um, in terms of that path. So whether it's starting your own business or, or at least owning, you know, owning companies via owning stock, um, that is the tr true path to wealth. And I think every wealthy person has had some combination of leverage um, where they're an owner and what they're, what they're spending their time on, and it's measurable. Um, and so ultimately that, that was when I decided to leave the fund and figure out how do I share what I was able to do at, the, at these large funds with the folks that I know back home, my friends and family, um, who aren't necessarily as wealthy. So we, they're not, they're not going to have a million dollars for a long period of time, and that's okay. That's actually 99% of Americans. And so uh, ultimately I spent a year figuring out how to make accessible to everyone what I did on a daily basis, and, uh, and that was the start of Titan, which we can talk about. Right. So just want to 
make sure this is a dialogue tonight. So for folks that are not in the stock market, I'd just love to hear some reasons why you're not in the stock market. So anybody that didn't raise their hand said they're not actively investing in the stock market, I'd love to hear a reason why. Do you feel like anyone, anyone? Are you in the stock market? Okay, so why, why, why do you feel like you're not in the stock market? You feel like you need more information or? For sure, and uh, you're really not alone. So I went to Harvard, he, he went to Warden, and we were just talking backstage that they don't teach anything about what we're gonna talk about today, they just don't teach it in school. So if your father or your mother or someone that's close to your family or a mentor or somebody didn't sit you down and say, hey look, this is what you should do, you should you know, uh, figure out some formula of how much you save or how much of your savings you'll be investing, you'll literally just be holding on and saying, okay, I'm gonna put something away. And what I was discussing before is just the fact that there is inflation that happens, which means that the value of your dollar is going down every year, right? And so in order to, uh, like Clay was talking about, in order to actually make sure that you're on the pathway to wealth, you need to be in the ownership game. And I think a lot of especially folks in this room are probably creatives. If you're a creative, you have your own business, raise your hand, you are, you, you're a freelancer, you're gonna build your own enterprise, that's amazing. And so that's the first step of ownership. And then the next part of ownership is actually having some ownership of some of your favorite companies. So whether that's Nike, whether that's Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, companies that you use every day that you believe are actually very valuable, you can actually have some ownership in those companies, and that's really what investing in stock is really all about. And, and, and Clay, why don't we talk about that just for a little bit. What does it actually mean to own a share of Google or own a share of Apple, you know, and for someone that's never invested in any of those companies before? Yeah, so it's very simple. Um, when anyone, whether you're creative in this room or you have any kind of enterprise, um, you need money to operate, right? You need money to pay your people, to get an office. Um, so, you, you know, you have some sort of business, maybe you get paid for your work, you pay those costs and you're left with some kind of profit. Um, ultimately, you gotta start somewhere. And so if you're not born rich, uh, or maybe not necessarily a scrappy, um, you form a company, right? And that company issues shares. So you say, okay, if I form a company, how can I get money into this company? Well, you need to give a share of that company, you slice it up, dice it up into a bunch of different pieces, and you give shares of that pie to investors. So when a company goes public and IPOs like Uber or Lyft did a few months ago, um, you know, it, it becomes a public company that you can buy shares in. So it does not feel like it um, if you're not a billionaire, but you are the literal owner of any stock when you own a share um, or even a fraction of a share. And so when your investors at Titan, for example, and I can talk about the platform, um, you know, one share of Amazon, for example, costs $2,000 today. Um, wait, wait pretty, let's, pretty, let's stop, let's pretty stop right there. Let, let's stop, stop right there. If you needed to buy one share of Amazon right now, how many of you, you guys really feel like, okay, I know, especially as a creative, I came to New York City in 2003, living in a one-bedroom apartment in Harlem, 
They overcharged me for that apartment. You know what I'm saying? I didn't like cooking, so I was ordering in every night on Seamless or whatever it was, right? Going to the deli where the bottle of water is like $4, but if you went to Stop and Shop, it's only $1.29, right? You're paying all the premiums for New York City. How many of you guys feel like you have $2,000 to potentially lose a percentage of it to buy one share of Amazon, right? And so I'm asking that rhetorically. You don't have to raise your hand. But the bottom line here is I do understand that when you start seeing the price of a share, whether it's Apple, Amazon, uh, whether it's Shopify. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Shopify or, you know, my company, uh, Superphone, is built on Twilio. Those prices can be restrictive. Those prices can be barriers for you deciding to actually invest, even though you know, I definitely believe Amazon is gonna change the world. I know for sure, based on the fact that when I first started ordering from Amazon, it took like a week to get my stuff. Now I can order from Amazon, it comes the next day, right? And I've been watching interviews where they would like to cut that down to like two hours, right? So being able to save humanity time means that they're going to create a great deal even more value than they've already created and so it is probably a wise and prudent investment to own a piece of a company that you feel is going to be valuable and so there are ways that you can actually get into these kinds of investments even if you don't have two thousand dollars to buy one share of amazon how much is google trading at right now I think Google's, I think it's $1,200, $1,300. Right. So. so if you wanted to just buy two shares, one share of Amazon, one share of Google, you got to have $3,200. And if you really want to see the growth happen in those shares, you got to be able to hold on to them so that the companies can actually thrive and grow. You have a question. Go ahead. For sure. So I guess like at what point do you recommend people like is thirty K gonna get me the yield that I want? Like what is is there an average yield that people expect? Like where is the fair expectation of that? Yeah, it's one of those I figure there's a Jeff Bezos quote, um, CEO of Amazon, who said something like I think it was maybe even Buffett who said so something like, you know, I've never been pitched by someone with a get rich slow get rich slow scheme. Right, um, but ironically, that's the only way Buffett got rich. So there's one word to describe this. It's called compounding, and it's basically the idea of if you have a thousand dollars and it grows to eleven hundred dollars in a year, it doesn't feel like much. But let's say it grows ten percent the next year, you actually don't have more than you don't have another hundred dollars. You have actually have more than a hundred dollars. It compounds. It's called compound interest. And so you may not know this, but for example. Buffett is, I think, is worth somewhere close to $100 billion. Can anyone guess the age after which half of his wealth was created? Buffett's about 85 years old today. More than half of Buffett's wealth was created after he was at the age of mo most people retire at. Um, none of that would have been possible if he sold when he was 23, 24, 30, 35. 
So it's, it's the reason why machines haven't arbitraged away, taken away the opportunity for everyone in this audience to be a millionaire by starting with $10,000. It's the only reason is because human behavior. Machines can't yet, there's no, not yet a perfect general intelligence that can totally replicate human behavior. And so humans are emotional. And so what Buffett does is he buys when others are fearful and he sells when others are greedy. And so um, I totally resonate with the idea that if, if you know, let's say we even make it possible to own 0.05 shares of Amazon, right? So that's $100. And let's say you return what Buffett returned every year. Like, let's say you're, the, you're, you're exactly like Buffett. You're as good. That's $40 in a year, right? So I completely empathize when you, when you start to think about it tangibly. You're like, how, how, how does investing even matter when I'm starting with such small dollars? The problem is if you think that way and you roll it through, you, there's actually, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars that you would have been giving up just by investing in the market average. You don't need to be Buffett. You just got to put it in there and kind of close your eyes. Yeah. And I think a, a more direct answer to your question is you just have to start. You just have to start. And what Clay is talking about is the power of time on your investment, the power of time. And so what happens is, the later you start, the less time that you're giving your funds to be able to compound. And so the beauty of the story that he told about Warren Buffett being able to double his wealth after 65 is that he necessarily started early. Maybe he started with $500 or however much he started with. The stock market and actually any kind of interest really is a matter of percentages. Right. So that's why for you you're saying, OK, well, you know, 10 percent on five hundred dollars, only 50 bucks. Right. And if you're actually an entrepreneur, I totally understand where you're coming from, because you're like, look, if I spend five hundred dollars making T-shirts. Right. And I sell those T-shirts. Right. I can make double or triple. And so it's really about diversifying the way that you invest. Right. The next step is bandwidth. I'm sure. really busy. Right. Very busy. And I don't have time to do something that I'm not an expert on. Right. And I'm in the business of surrounding myself with experts. So then it's like, now I just need to go find somebody who can do this that I trust. Right. And, you know, you were sharing earlier, like, I graduated from school. I was really young. I was at Blackstone. Like, I don't want to deal with some, like, college yuppie managing my money mm -hmm. who could potentially screw it up because they're, they're new. Right. You right. Know? So. Right. Find somebody who I trust to manage my thirty thousand dollar investment that's gonna pay for my house when I'm sixty. Yeah. And actually that is something for us to to, to answer. And so I, I think that's a great segue into just the concept of uh, money management in general, right? So I know my family, you know, they they decided that they wanted to go with a financial advisor. Um, and, you know, there are financial advisors, you know, whether it's Prudential or Edward Jones or, you know, I don't know if Prudential is a financial, I think they're insurance. But um, the bottom line here is that, you know, you can go and look at firms uh, like Schwab or Edward Jones. Um, but I would like to talk a little bit about hedge funds. What's a hedge fund uh, and how does that differ from like a financial advisor like an Edward Jones or someone like that? Yeah, so a hedge fund, um, it's basically a, it's like a very um, vague term, but it's basically a pool of money that only the wealthy can invest into. That pool of money is managed by a hedge fund manager, 
He's typically an individual with a team of folks around him that grew up in the world of finance. And their job is to generally outperform the average U.S. company with less risk. Right. So the goal, if you're investing in a hedge fund, you're a wealthy person, um, just like you said, um, you know, they don't necessarily want to manage the money themselves. So they give that job to the hedge fund. Now, the reason they're going to the hedge fund instead of what Buffett says most folks should do, which is just put in a Vanguard index fund, is because they aim to outperform the Vanguard index fund or they aim to perform as good with less risk. And let's talk a little bit about what is the Vanguard index fund for people that, that are unfamiliar. Yeah, so the S&P 500, some of you have probably heard of that. It's, um, it's basically an, an ETF or it's an index of the 500 largest U.S. companies. So if you wanted to just get invested um, and you didn't care how, you'd say, well, a probably good way to do so is just to invest in a basket of the average top 500 U.S. companies. So if you invest in an index fund that tracks the S&P 500, your return should be basically the S&P 500's return. So if you invested in an index fund 50 years ago, you probably would have made somewhere around 9%, 10% a year if you held and reinvested dividends and you did nothing. Right. So just for everybody, once again, if this is the first time you're hearing about the S&P 500 or Vanguard Index Fund, if you decide that you would like to invest in the top 500 companies in America, right, the S&P 500 is an index or uh, basically of those companies. And there are funds, exchange-traded funds, ETFs, which you can actually invest in, which when you invest in that fund, you actually are investing in a basket of the top 500 companies in America. And so if those companies perform well, then you will make money when those companies as a whole or as a group are performing less than well, then you're, you'll draw down. For, for example, right? And drawing down means that you may actually see your balance go down. Doesn't mean you're losing money. You're only losing money if you sell, all right? So actually, I think the beautiful lesson that I have, the most beautiful lesson I've ever been taught about investing is buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high, okay? Buy low, sell high. Now, the reason why this even though it's so simple, it's almost like going to the gym, right? Very, very simple. Just, hey, if you want to be in shape, run for 30 minutes every day, right? People give you all types of examples of why they don't want to run for 30 minutes. Oh, you know, I prefer this type of exercise, I prefer that type of exercise, et cetera, et cetera. It's a simple rule when applied will actually make sure you'll drink more because you'll be dehydrated. You put some more liquids in your body. You, you, your heart is going to be stronger. I mean, all types of beautiful byproducts of following a very, very simple maxim. Run for 30 minutes every day. The rule in the stock market, buy low, sell high. What happens, though, and what Clay is talking about, and the reason why a lot of people get scared about the stock market is that sometimes the emotional response to some news, sometimes it's just news, the emotional response will cause the price of a stock to go down. If you have $1,000 in that stock and the price goes down by 10%, you'll see your balance go from $1,000 to $900. If you're following the rule, buy low, sell high, you don't sell when it's at $900, especially if you believe that the company, like we talked about with Amazon, is going to be valuable. Don't sell low. Because that means that when the stock actually goes back up, you're missing out on that ability to 
actually earn when the stock goes back up. So buy low, sell high. And sometimes in order for the stock to actually recalibrate or return to its previous price, you may need to hold the bag for a little bit. And that might take three months or it might take six months or it might take a year. And that's why it's important when you make that investment at the very beginning, you're understanding that you're making an investment in basically uh, a basket of investments that will eventually be able to work harder than you can and be able to earn more than you can if you go to a nine to five. And in order to do that, you have to start early because as Clay mentioned, the real magic, it's not really magic, but the real magic in the stock market is this idea of compounding, right? And so compounding is only magical when you give it time to compound. So you should start today and follow that rule, buy low, sell high. Let's talk a little bit about Amazon stock, right? Amazon stock has probably performed 1,500%, maybe, maybe more. Let's talk a little bit about it. And let's talk about some of the drawdowns that investors would have had to stomach to actually enjoy the returns that they actually can enjoy or have enjoyed in holding the stock, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Amazon stock is about $2,000 per share today. The company, I think, went public in the late 90s, so it's been public for about 20 years. And I'm forgetting the exact number. If you go to Titanvest on Instagram, we actually have a, a chart that shows uh, exactly this. Um, I think there's maybe five to 10, maybe even more times during that history where you would have lost 90% of your money. 90%. Okay, so I just five different let, let's, just, let's just put this in perspective, okay? You put $1,000 into Amazon. All right. You will log into your account one day and that thousand dollars will be worth a hundred dollars. OK, now what happens with most people is, like, oh, man, I'm losing money. I'm, I'm getting out. Right. But if you get out, you're actually getting out with a hundred dollar loss on your thousand dollars. Right. And so you said five times at least, yeah, at, at least, least over the course of Amazon. This is Amazon, by the way, over the course of Amazon's history, the stock lost 90% of its value. The beauty of Amazon, be, besides Jeff Bezos himself, right, who's obviously a visionary and a genius, is the fact that this is a company that's dedicated, first of all, it's extremely well informed by all the data. Anyone in here that has an Amazon account, Amazon knows your name, your number, your address. <laughs> they know when they recommend something, if you buy it, what type of music you like, what type of videos you like, what type of shipping you like, are you willing to pay premium so you can get your stuff faster? That data set in and of itself is ridiculously valuable in addition to the fact that it's actually creating entrepreneurs, people who are just doing drop shipping, people who are selling books, people who are just reselling on Amazon, right? So the beauty there is and this is, I think, one of the concepts that Buffett talks about very often is you have to have the stomach and you've got to have the heart and you've got to have the, how should I say, the, the, the ability to weather out the storm of emotional responses to headlines and hiccups in a business and really look at whether or not the business is going to be valuable in the future. What's, what's the return on Amazon? If somebody invested in Amazon when it first IPO'd, what's, what's the return on 100 bucks, shall we say? 
Well, I don't know the percentage return. I know when they IPO'd, I think they got to something like a little over $100 a share. And then it's in the dot-com bust, I think it fell to $4 or $6 a share. Yeah. And today it's 2000 so. Right. You go for three, 350 times your money? Yeah, 350 times your money, right? So that also speaks to, to your question, right? So, th you know, 350 times a dollar is $350. And then just keep adding zeros, 350 times $10, 350 times 100 or 1,000, 350 times $1,000 would be $350,000, right? And that's one stock. Now, I think what we're talking about with a hedge fund is the fact that for folks that want to have a little bit more, uh, I would say uh, be a little bit more um, aggressive, if you will, with their investment, right? You have a little bit more risk tolerance because you really want to outperform the S&P 500. You bring folks like Clay or the folks at Blackstone to be your partners in investing. So you just say, look, I'm gonna work my nine to five. I'm gonna make my you know, thousand or $1,200 or $3,000 a month. I'm gonna take 50% of that or 80% of whatever I can. I'm gonna stay at home for my first 20 years of life. I know people still live at home, they 35, right? But hopefully <laughs> the reason they're doing that is because they're putting money away so that when they are 45 or 65 and it's time to take care of mom and dad, they actually have been putting that money away and saving and either investing in an ETF like the S&P 500 or if you have enough money up until Titan was formed, you could put your money in a hedge fund. And, and, and what, um, what, what, what Clay is talking about and what he, he discussed with Blackstone is the fact that nine times out of ten, folks need to have some sort of minimum to even be considered for management in a hedge fund. And so I think what's important here and the reason why we're even doing this event tonight is because I believe that anyone who has the inclination, anyone who has the inspiration, anyone who's in this room saying like, look, I'm here because I want to learn. I feel like I might be missing out. And I also feel like I may be denied access to information or I be, may be denied access to expertise because I'm below the threshold of what I need to invest to be in a Blackstone or a big hedge fund. And so that's one of the reasons why I brought Clay tonight is because the internet and information age and the fact that technology exists now uh, means that we can start to provide access to everyone, whether you have $500 or $500 million, to actually have access to the expertise of a hedge fund. And so I think this is a great segue to talk a little bit about uh, Titan in and of itself. Sure. Um, so just quickly to wrap, so, so we talked about this idea of risk, right? And there's, you can't make money in this market without taking risk. It's impossible. So in order to make a return, you have to have risk. There's two choices you can make. There's really three. Are you willing to take more risk in the prospect of a higher return? Are you only okay with less risk and you're okay with giving up return? Or are you somewhere in the middle? The reason that's important is because on the one hand, you can go invest in a basket of average companies. It's called an ETF. You can look it up on Robinhood or any of these platforms. And that's, you'll earn the market average. That's a relatively conservative allocation. And so um, if you're less comfortable losing, you know, investing $1,000, losing $200 in a year, go there. If you're okay losing a little bit more money, losing money, meaning seeing your stocks fall further in the short term, if it means 
you'll end up at a higher place in the long term, then maybe you're more aggressive. And that's why people generally say when you're younger, you should be more in the stock market. And then when you're getting, getting older, you should be more in bonds. And the reason is because bonds are less risky. So, you know, my parents, you know, about to approach retirement. My dad called me yesterday, said, Clay, I'm, I'm pulling my money out of the market. Like, I can't take this risk anymore. And I talked him off the ledge, but I said, you know, actually, that's like a pretty prudent decision, right? Um, he can't, he's not willing to see you know, $100,000 fall to 50000 That's his nest egg. He will never make that back. He's no longer earning income. But if you're 20-something, 30-something, you have a lot, hopefully a lot of years ahead of you. That means a lot more income coming, and you're going to make it up. You know, you get promoted. Um, you know, you can afford to take more risk. And so that's why people say, when you're younger, you can afford to take more risk. So that's a good segue into to what we're building at Titan. So um, basically, we see ourselves as sort of a hedge fund for the masses. So we're a little bit more risky, so to speak, in the sense that we're a little more volatile. We will go up more, down more in a given day than a regular ETF you can go invest in. But the hope is that with investing in us, with us, not only will you be more informed and engaged along the way, and I can talk about some of the ways we do that, but we will get you to a higher place in the S&P over time. So I can talk about why we believe that's true, but we believe over the long term, really important to note, long term, right? So five, 10 plus years investing with us, even after the small fee we take, you wind up a higher place. Right. So usually how hedge funds work is, uh, is a two and 20, okay? So two, 2% of what you actually invest and 20% of what they make for you, all right? So let's just take, for example, simple math, $100. Let's say you gave a hedge fund 100 bucks, right? The minute you give them 100 bucks, they're taking $2 because that's their management fee, right? And then let's say they make you 100 bucks, all right? So at the end of the year, your 100 went to 200. They're going to take $20, 20% of what they made you. So 22 bucks off of that 200, right? Now, that's pretty expensive in my opinion. And so that's the reason why when I decided to go and get into the stock market, I decided, okay, first of all, I'm fortunate enough that I had mentors and advisors, people who are at Harvard Business School. I literally just went and asked them for help, right? I said, look, what, do you, what are your thoughts about this? I like the music industry. I'm going to invest in the music industry. And luckily, somebody said, look, the music industry is going to go down before it goes back up. So if you're smart, you need to learn about what shorting a stock actually is. And that's what I did with some of your favorite music companies that are publicly traded. And that was simply because I had uh, the humility to ask for help. You should be able to have the humility to ask for help. That's number one. And then number two, uh, I think it's important to uh, figure out and do your research to figure out what the platforms and places and services are that will give you a better deal than even if you had $500 million to invest in a hedge fund, right? And so one of the, one of the uh, attractive elements that I discovered when I started to do my research on Titan is the fact that A, Titan is basically mirrors the top hedge funds in the world, right? And how are you guys able to mirror the top hedge funds in the world? Right. So I spent about four years doing this at hedge funds. When I say doing this, I mean every day, you come in at eight o'clock in the morning, you read the overnight news, you spend hours pouring through what are called 10K filings, 10Q filings, basically financial reports, and you'll spend days, weeks, potentially months doing that to find one stock. Yeah. And your goal is to find the next Amazon. That's the goal. And you hope that it performs like Amazon so that the fund does well, all of the investors called limited partners in it do well. So that's the goal. 
what I realized after four years was a lot of the work I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis was actually, my friends and family could actually see it. I didn't even need to tell them. It was legally required for me to tell the government right. what I was doing. Right. And there are these things called 13F filings. So I didn't have to do it every day, every month, but every quarter you have to report what exactly we owned at the hedge fund. And so that was kind of our eureka moment. So that's the first product that we launched at Titan. We literally just built software to look, to scrape these filings that come out every quarter. And then of, those, of all those filings, we say, what are the funds that most resemble a Buffett-esque right. fund? These are high-quality companies that you believe will be the next Amazon. These are not companies you're looking to flip mm -hmm. the next day. And so by building software to do all that, I realized we could replicate how hedge funds are investing these billionaires. But it's software. Once we build the software, there's no cost to serve you or you or you. Any of you could join. It costs us nothing, which means we can charge way less fees and still pay the bills. Right. So Titan right now, you can have your money managed by Titan yes. in a portfolio of 20 basically blue chip companies. Yes. Right? Yes. So For 1%. That's right. We're, we're in the App Store. We're in the Google Play Store. So search Titan Invest. Um, it takes two minutes to sign up. You can start with as little as $500. You just link a bank, checking your savings account, and we charge you 1% a year. Right. So it's 0.08% a month, and we don't charge any performance fee. Right. And the reason we can do that is because we're trying to build a multi-billion dollar company that hopefully has multi multiple financial products that serve people. If we achieve that vision, us, our employees, all of our stakeholders would do well, right? Like, I don't need $100 million to be happy. Right. Um, and so that, that is the goal for a lot of hedge fund managers. That's why they're not willing to give up that performance fee. And they can't serve, they can't let any of you in if they give that up. It's a legal requirement. They cannot serve unaccredited people if they give up the, if, if they keep the performance fee. Let's talk so, about, you, you, you just said unaccredited. So what's an accredited investor versus an unaccredited investor? So an accredited investor is someone who, I believe I'm getting this right, may, has made $200,000 of annual income for the last two years mm -hmm. or has a million dollars in liquid assets. Right. So only 3% only of Americans are accredited investors. Right. So that's, most of us are not investing in, cannot legally invest in hedge funds. You can't invest in your friend's startup. Mm -hmm. You can't invest in private equity funds. You, I, I think you may be able to invest in, like, let's say, some private property, but that's about it. And so 97% of Americans can never invest in any of the things that these billionaires are investing in. Right. Right. And, and so and so I think that's that's what's important about tonight. First, the information, you guys need to have the information, right? And hopefully, and we're going to open it up for, for some more questions. I, I see you have a question over there. Um, we'll definitely get to it. First of all, it's about knowledge is power. You know, uh, uh, I think it was G.I. Joe. I used to watch G.I. Joe and say, now you know, and knowing is half the battle, right? So first of all, it's about acquiring the information. The next step is what are you actually going to do with the information that you have? And uh, I think that tonight what's important for me is that you guys can walk away with some actionable steps. And so one of the, one of the, um, one of the, I would say one of the most fun parts of this year was doing a simple comparison with my mother, all right? And I said, hey, mom, you know, uh, are you invested in the stock market? And she said, well, you know, besides the little things you tell me, you know, I don't look at that stuff, you know, she says. And, uh, but, but she has a savings account. And I said, okay, you have an interest rate on that savings account. So how much did you make last month? You know, and she said, well, let me take a look. 13 cents. I said, oh, really? Okay. So I said, look, here's what I'd like for you to do, all right? Trust me on this. 
take $500 or $5,000, whatever you want to do, and let's put it in this managed portfolio of companies, right? And yeah, there might be some months where you make less than the 13 cents than you made in the bank, but nine times out of 10, because of the performance of these companies, you will make sometimes 10 times or 20 times or even 100 times the 13 cents that you made last month in the bank. And so this, for my mother, was a very, I think as humans, we're very comparative. We like to compare, right? And everything's relative. So I want you to think about, okay, do you even have a savings account? If you have a savings account, how much money do you have in there? First of all, how many of you guys check your bank account every day? How many check your bank account every day? That's great to see. I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine. He said, I don't check my bank account because I don't like seeing what's in there, right? I don't, I don't want to know what's going on in there. <laughs> I'm like, listen, man, you got to check your bank account, all right? And what's beautiful is that uh, it's, it's actually scientifically and, and historically proven that when you check your account every day, you, just because you're a rational human being, you're going to be inspired to save more. You say, I don't like seeing my balance going down, right? And so the beauty, I think, uh, in this conversation is the fact that for as little, I think you guys uh, reduce your minimums to $500, yes, right? $500. So for as little as $500, you, if you have ever thought about owning Apple, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, Constellation Brands, Boeing, which flies everybody everywhere, and you'd like to be in a portfolio that's not 500 stocks, but 20 hand-picked stocks, which is what all the hedge funds are investing billionaires in, you could start with $500. And the beauty of starting with $500 today is, A, you can start to see your growth. Hopefully, it inspires you to take a little bit more of your check and put a little bit more away every month for yourself, for your family, generationally. And also, uh, starting early allows you to take advantage of the greatest partner that you will ever have in building wealth, which is time, which allows your money to compound, right? So um, I think that that's uh, an actionable step that you could take away for everyone that's in this room. I think uh, there, there's a link. It's Forbes8.TitanVest, T-I-T-A-N-V-E-S-T. Right. Forbes8.TitanVest.com. But even easier, you just look for Titan Invest in the App Store and you'll find it. Um, but I'd, I'd love to open it up for some questions if anyone has some. I know you were waiting. Go ahead. Okay. The second one is a good one. I haven't thought about penny stocks in a long time. Um, uh, first question is: um, Can you should you roll should you invest your Roth IRA at Titan? Uh, so IRAs are retirement accounts. Uh, many of you probably have four hundred one ks. Your employer maybe gives you. We have our IRA. It's a way to basically grow your money without paying with a paying less in taxes. So I, I strongly recommend if you if you aren't doing it. Um, Take a look, maybe get started. And if you are doing it, good job. Um, uh, we do not offer IRAs yet, but we will offer them in about a month at Titan. So once we, it's been our most requested 
feature slash product. So once we launch IRAs, what's great about that is every quarter, you know, we look at what the hedge funds are investing in and we re rebalance your portfolio. Sometimes a few companies come out, a few new ones come in based on what those hedge funds are identifying. When that happens, sometimes you have to sell a couple of your stocks and that generates some taxes. But what's great about IRAs is none of that, none of that matters. Right. IRAs, the, uh, IRAs compound, like Ryan said, but if you have to withdraw a little bit of money along the way, yeah, there's no taxes on, on right. that. So, um, so yes, I, I, we would be happy to manage your IRA. Um, there's no fee to roll it over. Um, in terms of the penny stocks, this is something I actually thought about when I was younger. I thought, um, I think Buffett did as well when he was a kid. He said, you know, he looked, you know, he thought the cheapest stock was the one that costed the least for him to buy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, you know, he would rather, uh, a five cent stock was cheaper than a, a $1 stock. Um, What's actually interesting is I bet 99.99% of penny stocks are more expensive than Amazon. Um, and the reason is the way that we think, I think most value investors think about value is what price are you paying and what value are you getting? So many penny stocks are penny stocks because they haven't attracted enough buyers to make those penny stocks. And we call them like single digit midges is what we used to call them. Um, so, you know, single digit stock, you know, even penny stocks, you go from the pennies to the one, two, five dollars. Um, if they were monster breakout companies that had some sort of competitive advantage and some long-term prospects, chances are they would not be penny stocks, right? Or to single dollar stocks. So typically things are cheap for a reason. Um, you don't want them to fall, you fall into this value trap, you know. Um, you can go, you know, bargain bin shopping. There's a reason stuff isn't a bargain bin. And occasionally, occasionally you will find a diamond in the rough. You'll find that a pair of shoes or a bag that is way, way undervalued compared to the, its worth to you. And at those point in times, you should take, take, take a deeper look. But generally speaking, I would caution away, caution anyone away from, from investing in penny stocks because they're trading for pennies. Yeah. And let's just be clear, all right. I like dealing in data and statistics. And there are a bunch of folks that are like, oh man, I could probably make more money. Yeah, I could probably make more money uh, if I invest in penny stocks because it might double tomorrow and it also might half tomorrow, right? And so the statistic is folks that, are, that decide that they wanna get into like, uh, like the thinkorswim platform or start day trading on Robinhood, 85 to 90% of the people who invest that way lose money, all right? So that means that one out of every 10 people who invest in that way lose their money. I want people to be rich in this room. Right? So I want people to actually have real wealth. So unless you're deciding that you want to quit your job, right, and just be a day trader and time the market and look at every headline and trade based on uh, be, 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 become an expert in trading on uh, emotional responses to headlines of biotech stocks or cannabis stocks, etc. then I would say try your luck at gamifying the penny stock market, right? And know that your odds are 1 in 10 that you're going to lose on your trades, right? And so um, I believe that everyone in this room probably has better and more value that they can give to the world by doing what they love and what they're experts at. And I think that the young lady who just left said she wanted to build around her experts, right? You wanna have people around you who are smarter than you so that you're doing what you do best and you know that the areas where you need help 
are actually being managed by experts and people who are doing what they do best and what they love, right? Because when people do what they love, they're going to outperform everyone else, right? So, you know, a lot of people love playing basketball, but I've heard a hundred times that Michael Jordan just took a thousand extra jumpers every day, right? He loved playing basketball just like everybody else, but he loved it enough to actually do the extra work to make him the greatest basketball player, arguably, of all time, right? So the bottom line here is that when you are thinking about who you want to partner with to manage your wealth or manage your investments until you get to that point that you actually might want to you know, make, make a few uh, purchases or make some investments in stocks on your own, do it with people who love what they're doing because they are, their passion for it is gonna mean that they are gonna do whatever they can to outperform because that's what wakes them up every morning, that's what keeps them up every night, right? And so I think, um, I think that uh, this arena tonight, uh, first and foremost, uh, it validates my thought that not enough of us, and I'm talking about people that look like me, right? And I don't care whether you went to community college, you went to Harvard, this information is just not, I pay so much, I mean, I actually went on scholarship to Harvard, but um, you pay so much for education and then you come out and nobody told you that your credit score is going to affect how expensive cars and leases and rent and everything else is going to be. You pay so much for education and someone doesn't tell you that by not investing early, you're missing out on all of the beauty and the value and the magic coefficient of compounding, right? And so that's the reason why I wanted to put this, um, put this together tonight. And I didn't want to just say like, hey, you guys are missing out. Hey, you guys are all doing it wrong. I wanted to make sure that I started to bring to the table people, platforms, and uh, ideas that you can implement starting today, starting today. Right, And even if you don't have the $500 today to get started with Titan, you need to just start saving. You need to look in your bank account every day and say, okay, where is the money going? I got to cut down on that McDonald's. I got to cut down on, you know, I know it's a dollar menu, but <laughs> maybe I need, I was cut down on the Starbucks or whatever it is, right? Just so that you can actually build up to that first amount that allows you to put your assets somewhere that someone who's an expert and who's passionate about Wealth creation can be your partner in this journey in creating wealth. And so I think that's our time. That's our time for tonight. Um, obviously, all of you who are in this room probably got into this room because you have my number directly. If you have any other questions directly, textryan.com is my URL. Just drop your number in there. I'll text you right back. Once again, Clay's company, uh, which I'm a, you know, a, a strong endorser of, um, is called Titan. You can find it in the Apple Store, Titan Invest, Titan Invest. If you search that, you'll find it there. And uh, listen, I'm, I'm so happy that all of you came out to just take that first step to deciding that today you want to start changing the trajectory of wealth, not only in your own life, but in your family's life and for generations to come. Love y'all. And we're going to do this again, right, Marcus? Absolutely. For sure. Thank y'all.